This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Drilled to center field and deep. Back out of his seat, to the track, to the wall, it's gone! Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center, and he gives the Rays a 6-4 lead here in the ninth. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good afternoon. Welcome to our show. Today on the program, we will visit with Colby Rasmus, discuss the recent Rays roster moves with Senior Vice President Haim Bloom, Visit with a Rays employee who helped save a life this week and much more. Hey, watch your team defend the ballpark from the Invaders from the North on Saturday, July 8th. The Rays battle the Red Sox and the first 15,000 fans will take home their very own Evan Longoria Game of Thrones bobblehead. Be a part of the action and visit RaysBaseball.com today. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Coming up, Colby Rasmus in an interview we did before he found out he was going on the DL for the second time. We'll discuss what he likes about the 4th of July and being with the Rays right after this on the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball, and our feature guest this week is one Colby Rasmus. And, Colby, I want to start since we're nearing the 4th of July. Obviously, you do a program called Hitters for Heroes the last couple of years. Tell our fans what it's about and why it's important to you. It is uh, donating to a cause and an organization named Team Rubicon. They get veterans that uh, may not have something to do or are, are still wanting to serve and may you know maybe need a way to get that service out of them and, and get them out there doing things they uh, raise money and then they go in and help in disaster areas, uh, floods or, you know, whatever happens. They they send guys in, they get a group of them together, veterans, and they go in and they try to help people and move around things and, and help in bad situations and rough situations. So, And we all know that it takes money to do that. And one day I just got to talking to my agent about wanting to do something. I went to some VA hospitals and visited some veterans and just decided to go with Team Rubicon. And obviously you've, you're donating $1,000 for every home run you hit last year and this year. For you, how important is that and why is it so important? Why veterans specifically? Well, it's, they gave up so much for us to be able to do what we get to do every day. We get to drive down the streets feeling safe and uh, you're not worried about getting blown up by RPGs and whatnot. You know, just uh, crazy things that are happening in this world. And we have the luxury of living in one of the greatest countries and I'm thankful of that I'm proud of that and I felt that that was a good way to show that love and try to at least uh, give some of that back to them you know they can't get that time back they can't get the time back with their families maybe a limb uh, maybe an eye you know you never you never know what it may be that they have so many different things going on there's a and and there's a lot of men and women that do serve and have served and are in those situations so I felt just uh, a warning to a calling to try and help them in some way that I could and I thought that that would be a good way and 
hopefully we can continue to make it something great for them and they can enjoy themselves and get out there and do things in the community and, and help. And I think our fans would agree it's an awesome thing. What does the 4th of July then mean to you? Uh, well, 4th of July is my favorite month of the year, or favorite holiday. Um, and July is one of my favorite months. But, we, you know, we're always playing baseball, which is the tough part about it. I don't get to go home and shoot my fireworks like I want to, you know. So New Year's, I have to let the, the whole neighborhood know that I'm, that I'm home. You know, I usually buy, I don't know, I usually buy eight to $10,000 worth of fireworks and try to shoot them all off in, in one night. You know, because I'm I'm an American, and I guess that's just what we didn't like to do in the South. We like to shoot fireworks and and cut up and have a good time. So uh, it's it's a great time of the year, and I love being able to see the festivities that go on, the how how pretty they make everything uh, in the big leagues, the flags, and just the the singing. You're always going to hear uh, a top-notch performance on the national anthem. So that's cool, and God bless America. So it's a uh, it's a fun time. I, can't wait till one day when I can spend it at home. I know some may, some fans may not like that, but you know, baseball isn't everything. There's a lot uh, a lot more to this life and spending time with family. But and and I think about that. I got an uncle that's over in Germany now, serving in the military, and he won't be able to be home for the Fourth of July. I'd like to send my prayers over to him and uh, to all those that are serving. And thanks for their service. And you know, July Fourth, Happy Independence Day. I know family is a big part of that day, too, and family is very important to you. What does family mean to you, and what's most important about your family? What's most important about my family? I, you know, the love that we have for each other. Me and my wife, we're trying to help raise our kids in the best way we can, um, trying to teach them the right ways, seeing them grow on a daily basis, just the interaction with them, getting to see how they are mimicking what we do. They're little sponges. Uh, you know, growing up in a family that was very um, oriented on job and work and, and baseball and, and focusing on a career, uh, I, I have been away from my family a lot, traveling, doing all these different things. So with my family, I like to keep them close. Uh, my wife and my kids usually travel with me most places that I go, and I try to just love on them as much as I can. You know, we all need love, and this world is hard, you know, and we we uh, sometimes get caught up in things that may take us away from loving one another and showing our kids the love that they may need. You know, I'm all about showing them a, an upbringing that's going to help them su- have a successful career or, or fill their, their needs in this life. But I, I believe that we all need love, and I try to show my family as much love as I can. And, and that was a big reason why you came here to begin with, because it was close to your family, right? Yeah, I, I wanted to, to come to, to St. Pete with it being close to home and my wife uh, we were trying for another baby so and knowing that being close to home would be good for us uh, family whatever it may be uh, friends wanting to come and see us or coming being able to come and watch the game I have a, a baseball facility back at home CR baseball that I started it's a uh, turning into somewhat of an organization of travel ball and we got a bunch of kids and we've talked about wanting to bring them down here for games and things like that and just been able to being closer it opens up avenues for a lot of things to happen uh, for young people, for my family, for uh, kids in my area that may not ever get a chance to see a big league ball game, uh, whether it's in the Trauber, you know, Yankee Stadium, you know, uh, either way, it's all the same, and I'm just I'm thankful to be able to to have the chance to do some things like that. How about your baseball family here? What has this family been like for you? Because you played with some other organizations, Houston, St. Louis, Toronto. What I, everyone talks about, this is a pretty good clubhouse. What's it been like for you? Uh, it's so far it's been great. A lot of great guys on this team. I love the 
the way everything's handled here. You know, the, the coaches know it's a tough game and they understand and uh, this game wears on you a lot. It's a stressful environment. And I feel so far here, it hasn't been super stressful on myself. Um, you know, some of that may be with age and, and just being kind of scarred over from a lot of past wounds um, and, and knowing how to, to deal with some of those things and kind of get in my own lane and stay, you know, keep between the mayonnaise and the mustard, I like to say. Uh, so you don't have to deal with too much, too many things that can alter your mind from thinking about hitting a little white baseball and trying to run it down and catch it. Uh, because this world throws so many things at you. There's so much going on and subconscious, conscious that we get to thinking about that can throw us off of hitting this little ball. And some folks at home may not understand that side of it because it is such an intricate side and they, that's what baseball has built. They have built this super empire uh, off of baseball players' backs and it's, it's pretty cool to, to be a part of it and see the different teams and how things have come about. I've come a long way since I was 22 years old when I first made it to the league with the Cardinals. I, w I wasn't even wet behind the ears yet. I didn't know what was going on and the whole business side and everything that, that happens, the, the, the little details and small details that you would never think happen. You're looking at it from home and watching on TV and seeing Griffey hitting homers on the highlights and you know Randy Johnson striking people out. Uh, because I, I grew up more a baseball player rather than a fan, so I didn't really watch the game for those things. I wanted just to see the highlights, and then I went out in the yard and tried to hit homers like Griffey, and when I was trying to strike my brothers out like Randy Johnson. You know, so with all that being said, it's, it's, been, it's been cool, and I'm just happy and excited to still be in the league and be able to play and be healthy enough to, to play this game of baseball because it is such a tough road, and it's, uh, it's a stressful job for sure. You talk about health and, you know, you came in with some injuries and this training staff has a really good reputation. How have they been to work with? Um, because they have a great reputation helping guys out when they're working their way back. They've been, they've been top notch. They're pro. Uh, they definitely have a lot on their plate uh, <laughs> with, with the way things shake up and with all the guys that come into spring training, it's always packed in there um, with them working to the bone, you know, so. They've been nothing but first class to me. It's been great so far. It's fun to learn how to to maneuver through things and, and try to guide to uh, an on-field performance that's, that's uh, above even par, if you will. You know, So that's the goal every day and to try to get out here and help put a piece to the puzzle to, to play the game as best you can, and that's their goal as well. And uh, you know, in knowing that, we try to do the best we can to get out on the field. I came in with five cuts on my body this off season and you know two sports hernias my hip the labrum uh little bone spur shaved off my hip and my my groin adductor muscle repaired uh, you know and after before that happened and before i had a surgery i don't even know if i'll be able to play again right you know i didn't know if i'd be able to handle the mental strain of playing and having to keep all these things functioning in the right way in a game where you have to bounce around you're flying and and staying on top of a program that can keep all that together is such a such a hard thing to do and that's why there's only certain few uh superstars that make the the big millions and then you got your middle of the road guys and you got your guys that get a little cup of coffee and then the the ones that don't even make it it's such a a tough thing to do and my hat's off to them for helping getting me back on the field i'll always be appreciative of that and i uh, hope they know that and you also have a coach on the field who I know has a good reputation too, and Chad Matola, who you knew from Toronto. Now it was a few years you were separated, but what's it? Did you guys pick up where you left off? Because you obviously have been pretty good at the plates this year. 
I wouldn't say we picked up where we left off. There's there's always bumps in the road with this game. This all that stuff I just said uh, previously. You're trying to find this little potion every day to be able to get out here and hit this little white ball that's that the black box is saying is spinning at this certain spin rate that you're not even supposed to hit it, right? So we're trying to do something that's just that's crazy. And then you know some guys make it look easy and and things like that, but we it's all in our preparation and how we get there to that point to be able to make that potion that's gonna get us to the right spot. But Motorman, you know, I got nothing but love for Motorman. He's been great to me and just helping me learn myself as a person, not be a robot and not be uh, somebody that's barked at and, and talked down at. I've learned how to figure out things and, and what it means in my mind, not, be, not just because some old man says that he knows it that don't mean that it's going to compute right with what my brain thinks so in understanding that and learning those things about myself motor helped me with that a lot and figuring out small little habits and things that was kind of getting me astray in my hitting and and things like that so motor's been nothing but great for me and i'm i'm super appreciative of of all he's done for me happy to be back with him and i hope that i can continue to keep it going with as complicated as the game is i mean we talked about how things that you know help relax the mind. When you're not with family and you're doing something else, what, what helps you relax and just get away from the game so you can decompress? Hunting, fishing, what's, what's your, what are the things you love? Those, those things you can't do in the season, uh, which would be great things to be able to do, but as everybody knows, we live in big cities where you, don't, you can't do those things. And I'm, I'm not gonna, on an off day, drive 45 minutes, an hour, hour and 30 minutes to go and hunt because it, I'll just wear myself down mentally. I'm already doing a stressful enough job. I, the time that we do have off, I, I myself, I like to put my headphones in, play. I like to listen to music, and I like classical music. I like Beethoven and Mozart, things like that. I, I, I get those going in my headphones and try to get to a clear-minded place. And those things help me in that. You know, I do my Bible studies. I, I try to lean on the Lord in, in things that I hope that he can help me with and understand in this life. And, and try to stay spiritually grounded the best I can. Uh, we all know that that's a tough task. But um, I learn every day, learn everything new or learn something new about myself every day in those little details and trying to figure out how to balance balance it all without getting off the, letting the train get too far off the tracks that you can't get it back home. Well, I think so far race fans have enjoyed watching you and handle all that to this point in the season. I wish you continued success to you and your family and good health here with the 4th of July coming. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. It's Colby Rasmus joining us in this week in Rays Baseball. We continue right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Well, we continue on this week in Rays Baseball, and Senior Vice President of Baseball Operations, Haim Bloom, joins us. And Haim, this has been a pretty busy week. Let's start with the addition of Adani Echeverria. When did it all really start to come together, and how important do you think he is going forward well this one uh, had been brewing uh you know for uh probably about a week maybe a little more than a week prior to it actually really heating up and when we found out that Adani was available uh it was really appealing to us I mean this is a guy who we think is one of the better defensive shortstops in the game uh, we got to see that right off the bat when he joined our club and uh, the very first ball hit to him he made a phenomenal play uh, we really like his defensive skill set and for us that was just something that uh you know adds an elite level skill to our team that we didn't have and uh we all uh, love the work that the guys are doing this guy we just feel does it on another level and that's something we were really excited to add how much of it has to do also with 
Matt Duffy and the injuries that he had and his inability to consistently get on the field. Yeah, and with Matt, we're the, the positive thing with Matt, we're very excited to have found or at least we think we found the cause of some of the pain he was experiencing, where where uh, we had that calcium deposit removed from his heel. But when you have to go in and uh, open somebody up to do that, there's going to be a period of time uh, for a buildup to get them back out on the field. And the last thing we want to do is jeopardize Matt's season by rushing that. And since he hasn't had a spring training, he's going to need some time and some at-bats before he's really ready to compete at the major league level. So this um, you know, gives us added depth during that period of time while we're waiting for Matt. And it is going to be some time yet. The move itself is unusual for the Rays and that of Trevor Plouffe, to be frank. I mean, you guys have probably added more in terms of salary and more in terms of talent than you have in a June since probably this ownership took place. Why now? Why, why this point of the season? Well, put simply, we feel we have a chance to win. Uh, you you got to love what this group has been doing. You watch them every night and uh, they battle. They don't ever feel like they're out of a game. And that's really great to see. You see heart and fight in a group, and you see them finding ways to win games, even despite all the injuries, despite, frankly, a lot of things not going the way we plan. And to be right in the thick of the, the playoff race, and then to see opportunities with Plouffe, with Etch, to go add to add to this team and give them reinforcements and give them uh, you know, more of a chance to compete, those were opportunities that we felt we had to jump on. You're now facing a ton of lefties now, but you added Plouffe, as you mentioned. Wilson Ramos comes off the DL. And Adani has been pretty good in his career against left-handers. Do you feel more comfortable now than you did, let's say, a week and a half ago about your lineup against lefties in terms of making a jump there? I would say yes, and that's part of the reason that we went out and added those guys, particularly Trevor, who uh, has a track record there. Uh, and, of course, Wilson Ramos, I think we, we just view him as a really good all-around player, and that was you know, the main reason that we pursued him in the winter. And this is the payoff for waiting to get him healthy. So we think this should just make us stronger overall. You mentioned you know, Adani and the defense that he provides how much of that also do you think has a trickle down on the pitchers? Not to knock any of the guys that you had, but you know, when guys have a confidence level that a certain guy can make the exceptional play, does it give them that much more conviction in the pitches they do throw that if they get a ground ball, it's, a play is going to be made? Yeah, I think there's a snowball effect with a lot of these things. And of course, the more pitches, the more outs you can save your pitchers, uh, the better shape you're going you're gonna to be in at the end of the day. And uh, you know, the work that the guys that we have had on this club have, have done is outstanding. Uh, you know, in particular, Tim, I mean, Tim Beckham is having a phenomenal year and being able to use him at second base is just going to make us that much stronger. I know, you know, he obviously expressed some disappointment when it happened. How quickly can a guy get over that and how important is it for him to get move beyond it so that he's focused 100 percent on only one thing? And that's being you know, the best teammate he can. Yeah, and you can't blame Tim for being disappointed because he is having a great year, and he's a competitor, and he has a lot of pride in what he does. The thing about Tim is he loves to play. He, he has always just wanted a chance to play. He's gotten that chance this year. He's run with it, and he likes playing. He's a competitor who likes to win, and we believe strongly that at the end of the day, that's, that's going to carry him forward. You take a look at the one area that you know you haven't improved substantially yet, and I know you've tried to, and that's the bullpen. The addition of Brad Boxberger this week, I guess the hope is, is that he can find his form a little bit? That's what we hope. And obviously it's been a while since we've been able to have Box uh, out there and pitching on a consistent basis. Last year he did a little bit at the end, uh, but just given the year he had, it was kind of a lost year. We've all seen what this guy can do when he's at the top of his game. Uh, time will tell, but we're optimistic. You also had to make a change with, one of your, with your left-hander. Uh, Jose Alvarado was sent down. 
He skipped AAA. Is it kind of time for him to get refined a little bit? And what can you tell me about Adam Kalerik and, and what he can bring to the table? That was a big part of our thought process with Jose. And uh, Jose got pressed into service probably on an accelerated timetable, as, as we discussed in the past, uh, because we had we had a need. And we, we he had some great moments that helped us win games. He also showed that he's got some things that he can work on still. And so we're hopeful by getting him down there uh, to AAA with Kyle Snyder and our staff that he can continue to work on, on those things and fill in that those missing gaps in his development. And at the same time, we're giving a chance to uh, Adam Kolarik, who has been phenomenal down there. Uh, this guy has really come a long way. He was with us a little bit last year, rejoined the organization this year. Uh, the sinking life on his fastball is tremendous. He's been a ground ball machine, a uh, tough angle for lefties. So we're excited to see what he can do. You've added position players, and that's a little bit easier to do from the outside. How hard is the bullpen market now? And do you think it's going to ease up? We saw last year what the value or the cost of adding bullpen arms was in terms of potential players in your system. Yeah, there's always a premium placed, and particularly this time of year and leading up to the trade deadline uh, on relievers, because every team, regardless of the strength of their bullpen, every contender is looking to add depth. Uh, now, that said, we're going to be very aggressive in, uh, in talking to clubs, as we always are, and just looking for opportunities to make ourselves better. In terms of making yourselves better, you're trying to do it now and beyond. And with... Um, Brendan McKay signed, and he was obviously the big announcement, your first-round pick. What's the plan um, for him? I know he's going to Hudson Valley at this point. Yeah, this is a very unique situation. We're excited about it, and our staff's excited about it, uh, to have a true two-way player uh, and and give Brendan a chance to go do that. Uh, Look, this guy was one of the best position players and one of the best pitchers in college baseball. There's not that many guys that you can say that have been that. Uh, certainly a new thing for us. And because of what he showed over his career at Louisville, we want to give him every chance to do that at the professional level. Uh, he's a very level-headed kid. He fully gets what's in front of him. And uh, it's going to be really interesting. We have so much faith in, our, in the various uh, player development staff that are going to be working with him to help him maximize both sides of his potential. And he'll get to do a little bit of each, I guess, in Hudson Valley? Yeah, we're still uh, talking to him about exactly how we're going to do this. Uh, you know, part of this, he's been so successful doing it at the college level. As he gets acclimated to pro ball, especially at the outset, we don't want to change too much for him. He's he's found a way to do this at a very elite level. And we're going to learn from him, and then we're going to help him learn from the adjustment uh, to playing every single day in pro ball. Well, we wish him a lot of luck, and uh, we wish you guys a lot of luck going forward because I'm sure there's a lot to think about and uh, discuss going into the training deadline. Thanks, Neil. It should be exciting. And that is Ray's Senior Vice President, Chaim Bloom. You know, the big story off the field involving the race this week happened in Pittsburgh, where umpire John Tempain helped save a life by preventing a suicide on the Roberto Clemente Bridge. Ray's employee, Mike Weinman, also played a major role in saving that life. And when he got back from Pittsburgh, he relayed the story. Mike was shooting footage for the Rays in his first road trip in six seasons with the club. And so um, we'd capture quite a bit of content, you know, on the of the park and stuff like that. We wanted to catch them around the city and and things like that. Um, This particular day, we actually had an interview um, that we were headed to. So I grabbed a quick bite for lunch, and uh, we're headed, you know, our hotel is just on the other side of the the Roberto Clemente Bridge um, from PNC Park. And uh, um, we'd been walking every day, basically, to go shoot and to go to the games and stuff because it was a short walk, beautiful walk. Uh, And, uh, yeah, that day we went to grab a bite to eat and, Head over to capture an interview, and yeah, in front of us, you know, you could see a small group. It, I mean, by small, I mean like hmm, four or five people or so, kind of like in a group, and kind of you could hear they, you couldn't hear what they were yelling, but they're kind of yelling. Um, and uh, yeah, as we approached, mentally you kind of know what's going on, but you're like, that's not really happening, type of thing. Um, 
But as we got closer, you could tell that someone was on the other side of the railing of the of the bridge. Um, it's about a four four and a half foot high railing, um, and uh, it's all basically barred up, so you can't like get in between the railing or anything. You ha- you have to go over. So she's there's this girl on the other side of the bridge, and there's there's two other guys up top, basically holding her uh, holding her up. Um, and at that point knew what it was because um there's another lady that's saying someone needs to call 911 um there's or you, someone's trying to commit suicide so at that point i was carrying my all my camera equipment and certain so i set the bag down and kind of walked over to see how i could help um in the situation and you know looked around and they, it was so small and people were just you know on the bridge holding her um there wasn't much to do so um the lady was still talking about someone calling 911 so i pulled out my phone to call uh and at that time um I basically just looked up and um, connected eyes with with John, um, who I didn't know at the time um, was even the ump or anything. Uh, but he looked at me. He's like, "Hey, man, can you grab her feet? Can can you grab her ankles?" And so that's what I did. Uh, well, that's perfect. Um, so I just there was about a six inch gap on four to six inch gap on the bottom of the in between this rail and grate um, that I stuck my hands in and pulled her feet close to the rail and there, probably about an eight eight inch little basic buffer that her feet were on ledge uh and so i'm just holding her feet on that ledge and people you know behind us by that time i don't know i couldn't see anything at that point i'm just staring down and seeing feet and the water and i'm just telling you know thinking to myself hold on just hold on just hold on and and praying at that point like you know just just give me strength to hold on and give the guys up top strength and just hope the situation and well um and uh so yeah i mean at that point you know she's struggling and and screaming just let me go just let me go i don't need to be here just let me go um and crying and um people are shouting words of encouragement from behind you can hear you know um we all love you like you know there's people that love you you have family and just trying to find ways to encourage her and hopefully get her back up over the top so then by that time you know uh the first responders had had started to show up and we're trying to talk about a way to to get her over um they put a rope around her and stuff i and i only could see basically the rope coming down um by the railing and stuff like that rescue boat had showed up down below um but even in this commotion i guess there was a helicopter so but you can't you don't really know what's going on i guess um you know at one point during this time she her foot had come out of my grasp and she had went over basically went over the edge and luckily i mean telling you the guys above we were still holding on for dear life uh and she didn't go but got her feet back up and that was the moment when i was like i'm i have to hold on tight i have to don't let go and so yeah i would watch her feet and basically just hold them as tight as i could and if she had her pinky toe and her pinky toe was if it went over the edge that's when i knew i was loosening up so i'd have to pull it back in pull it back in but uh no we finally they they brought a sheet and um they handed it down to me and i ran it between her legs and um they used it as a harness to lift her up and over um and finally got her on the sidewalk on the other side and uh yeah it was a relief when she kind of came over and um they basically set her down and i kind of got out of the crowd and just let them do their thing and left to grab my bag and larry and i walked to the stadium to get our interview how scary was all that when you got you know some space from it you know what it I don't think it all really hit until I would say yesterday when it became really surreal. Um, reading the articles and like I said, I, di- I didn't even know John was a part of that. Um, 
I guess we don't, still kind of don't really know how my name got out or anything. Um, but I guess it was possibly because uh, the, Dave and Andy had mentioned it on the radio because um, Larry had mentioned to them about it. Yeah, basically, um, MLB came and interviewed me and stuff. Um, and so then media kind of picked up on it. And as I was getting questions and texts and emails and stuff about that time is when it kind of really sunk in about the situation that we were in, all of us, um, and, you know, people talking, hey, you did a great thing. And, you know, like to me, it's just it was everybody because if it wasn't for the team effort, like, you know, the situation could have been a lot different. But, yeah, it was now you think about, it, you know, now that I think about it few days after it's definitely I wouldn't say that I was ever scared or anything um I guess I was scared of letting go losing her grip and seeing what you could have seen but at the moment you're not thinking about that I think we all want to think we do the right thing in the right moment but you did the right thing in the right moment I mean have you ever come across anything like that before or I don't know what it is <laughs> in my life but um I I am a religious person I you know have faith and and believe in God and everything and um, it's funny, I was reading one of the articles by John and he said that, uh, that I was a godsend in showing up, but it's, it's interesting because in my life here, uh, even with the Rays, I've been in that situation twice and in my life in general, I've been in a few of the situations. So it's interesting to me when I read that, um, and who knows, you know, where that, where that comes from and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I feel like for some reason that I was meant to be there in that time, um, and place. And, uh, I've definitely always been a person that likes to reach out and help people. And so whenever I see a situation like that, that's my first kind of instinct is to, to see what I can do to help. And we appreciate that Mike Weinman did that this week in Pittsburgh. Coming up on this week in race baseball, we look into some potential future race stars right after this on the race baseball network. We continue on this week in race baseball and two race players were named to the futures game. And among them, a guy who's right now in Durham and one of the top pitching prospects in the game at Brent Honeywell. Brent, congratulations. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Neil. Always good. Always good to be on with you, man. Tell me what it meant when you got the news and were you surprised at all? Uh, actually, I was because I'm, I'm not I'm not really throwing the ball all that great. Uh, I've actually thrown the ball a little better than the numbers are showing, but um you know, I really wasn't expecting to go this year just because I wasn't performing like I know how I could perform. So when you got the news, how excited were you? Because this is a chance uh, to perform in a major league ballpark in a setting with obviously some very other talented individuals. Uh, I mean, it's awesome. I, I was want, I, I wanted to go last year. I wanted to go the year before. I mean, this is kind of a this is kind of another step, in my opinion, to getting some exposure to different guys, um, such as, you know, world hitters that are gone that I've never seen before, um, mm -hmm. including some guys that are going to be playing behind me on the U.S. side. But I think that's the main thing. I'm more excited about playing for the U.S. You know, it's that's going to be my first time playing uh, solely for, you know, kind of the, the country. I've never played on a USA team. I've never done any of that, but I'm really excited about that. How about your manager? Jared Sandberg is going to go as a coach, too. How nice will that be to go with someone you're familiar with? Uh, that's, going to be, that's going to be awesome. Congratulations to him. But, um, you know, I, I met Lucius in spring a little bit, so I know Lucius a little bit. Um, I'm excited about the whole thing. You know, it's going to be a good, it's going to be a good setting for everybody. Now, is your family going to get to go to uh, Miami? Obviously, you know, being, you know, down in the south, they're not that far away. I, I think so. I think so. Uh, 
I think everybody's gonna come. <clears throat> you know, mom, mom and dad, uh, brother, stepmom, stepdad, stepbrother, stepsister, and my grandparents. So it'll be it'll be it'll be a good time down there. In terms of the season itself, you know, you mentioned you were a little surprised. What have you learned? Uh, because you went from double to triple A. I think we talked to you right after the promotion. Uh, I, mean, I just learned that I, my stuff will play in the zone. You know, I don't have to. I don't have to nibble at corners. I don't have to do any of that. And I think that's what you know. Me and Kyle are working on right now. Is you know, I can beat guys in the zone. I don't have to be so-called artistic. You know, that's what. So it might have to be artistic. It's, it's power and more power. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was. I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to stay in the zone a lot more than possible, and I'm walking a little bit more, guys. I don't really know what's going on with those, but uh, I'll get them under control. But um, you know, me and me and Kyle have been working hard since since I've been here. So, it's uh, I'm on the right track. Has it been a good learning experience, do you think? Because, you know, this, I, I think it's important for fans to understand that this is a process as you work your way up. Uh, I mean, absolutely, you know. I've, but then again, it, I've went out and absolutely got my tail kicked three or four times since I've been here. And it's like, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this is happening. So, you know, we, we kind of changed a couple things and went about doing stuff to, not the not the other way or the different way, but just, you know, kind of fine-tuning a little couple of things and polishing up a little bit. Um, because what Kyle Snyder wants is he wants us to get to the major leagues and never come back. So, um, you know, he he doesn't want us to be the greatest triple-A pitcher of all time. He wants us to be one of the greatest pitchers in the big leagues of all time. And I really, re- I really respect that, but while I'm here, I'm going to be the best triple-A pitcher of all time, too, so um, that's just kind of how I am. But, you know, there's, there's, I've seen better days this year, and, you know, it's just, it is, it is a learning process, and I think the biggest learning process is make better pitches. I'm sure that's to come for you, and um, I hope it's a great experience for you in Miami at the Futures game. Uh, we look forward to even bigger and brighter things to come for you in the future. Thank you, Neil. That is Brent Honeywell, and joining him to play in the Futures game from the Rays organization is shortstop Lucius Fox of Bowling Green. Lucius, thank you very much for being with us, and congrats. Thank you for having me, sir, and thanks for congratulating me. I really appreciate it. Were you surprised when you got the news? What was, what was going through your mind? Uh, man, so many things. I was so happy when I got the news, but also being in low A, I was kind of surprised because Usually I've watched it in the past years and it was guys in double A and triple A and knocking on the big league door that usually got the invite to this thing. So watching them and later seeing them in the big leagues so short after, I was like, okay, maybe I'm a little ways from it. But getting the news, I was so happy. I can't even, words couldn't even explain how I felt this being a dream of mine since I, before I even signed. Now tell me what this will mean to your family too, because for our fans who don't know, again, you're of Bahamian descent. Um, what, what this means to you and your journey and, and your family to get to, I would assume they'll get to watch this game at least on TV at worst? Yeah, at worst on TV. Hopefully they can come see it live. It's not far from home, so mm-hmm. that'll be an uh, easy trip for them. But for my family, they were very happy for me, me being the first Bahamian to participate in this game and representing the world and also the, the Bahamas. Uh, it's 
Uh, dream come true, man. Just day was full of happy emotions and just congratulating me on all my hard work that I put in throughout the years and coming up. And especially my father, this is like a dream come true for him. Just me being considered with the top prospects and all of the minor league. Uh, just can't describe. It's just a dream come true. What are you most looking forward to about this experience? Is it getting in a big league ballpark? Is it getting to know some of the other top prospects? What are you most excited about? Uh, I would say getting to know uh, some of the top prospects, you know, being able to hang with them for a few days and practice together and even play together and test my talent against theirs. That's what I'm mostly looking forward to, seeing every top prospect in baseball and hopefully get to see them in the big leagues along with myself play against them there. But the first case of a big league stadium with big league fans and press and all that, just the whole experience I'm looking forward to, but mostly being with the top prospects and just having fun with them. Based on your upbringing, other than Tropicana Field, have you been to a big league ballpark before? Uh, yes, sir. I've been to a few of them, like the old Braves Stadium. Mm-hmm. I've been to... Um, the old Marlins Stadium. I've been to the new Marlins Stadium one time. So this second time would be more meaningful because I <laughs> actually get to play on the field and participate on the field. But I've been to just like two or three big league stadiums. Now, for our fans who don't know, again, you came over in the trade last year with uh, with Matt Duffy for Matt Moore. So this is your first full year in the organization. What has this year been like? Obviously, you've been a productive player on the field. Right. Um, it's just been a great year so far working with the, the staff of the Tampa Bay Rays since instructional league, my first taste of getting on the field with the Rays staff. It's been awesome. They've helped me both defensively and offensively, man. Can't thank them enough. And it's just been fun getting out, getting the chance, the opportunity to play every day, compete with my, my brothers, man, on the team and trying to win every game we have. But also just getting better as a core. Where do but, you think you've grown the most this year? Um... I'd probably say my defense more. Uh, they would always tell me I had the tools to play shortstop, but I feel like this year I took in great steps in the right direction with my throw-in accuracy and just using my feet more and just letting my hands work, trusting my ability. And I've used, uh, used all of that in the training I've had with the Rays staff to help me to have a productive season so far. Now, last year, you actually had jumped to full-season ball with really not having much experience. So did it help right. a little bit to kind of slow it down and, and get this you know, kind of full year starting at a level that you're a little familiar with? Yes, sir. Um, it helped a lot, actually. You know, just being having this first taste of full-season last year before I got hurt and not having all the success I wanted this year. I have, um, I'm able to deal with the tough times more. At the start of this season, I the first couple of games, I didn't get a hit at all, and you know, it started off slow, but with the the lessons I've learned from last year struggling, it helped me this year. And hopefully in the future, I'll be able to snap out of, you know, over 10 streaks and that a little bit quicker just by being mentally prepared and mentally strong. But this year, slowing it down really helped me to just focus on what I can get better on and just being a productive player every day. You mentioned where you've gotten better during the course of this year, where do you want to continue to grow? Where in this second half of the season do you want to take your game up another level? Um, I want to continue to get better defensively. I'm not there all the way of my full potential as yet. You know, I still have, I still make few mistakes that I can't make once I get to the big league. So defensively, I like to get better. And also offensively, you know, just putting the ball and play more, being more of a tough out, 
uh, decreasing my strikeout numbers and just driving the ball for more doubles and uh, hopefully home runs in the future. That is Lucius Fox, one of two raised minor leaguers who will be part of next Sunday's Futures game in Miami. We wish him and Brian Honeywell a lot of luck. Now, today is the start of an important period for Major League Baseball. The international signing period is underway. Ben Badler of Baseball America now joins me. And Ben, tell me, what's different with the new collective bargaining agreement about this year's signing period, and how does it impact things? Yeah, it's very significant rule changes. You know, you have a system set up in the draft with bonus pools and uh, nobody ever exceeds those bonus pools, but what was happening on the international side was you would have one team that, if you finish with the worst record in baseball, you would have about $5 million, uh, and, and the team with the best record in baseball would have about $2 million to spend, uh, except that teams did not stay within those bonus pools. They would uh, Every year there would be about uh, five, six, seven teams that would just completely blow through their bonus pools. Uh, you know, actually, the Rays were, did it a couple of times, mm-hmm. uh, so it was you know some smaller markets, smaller revenue clubs. Uh, the, the Padres did it uh, just this past year. The, the Reds, the A's did it as well. Uh, the Dodgers did it. I mean, almost uh, or the majority of teams, I should say, uh, went through their bonus pool. Uh, and by going over, you, then you, the next two years, you can't spend more than $300,000 on a player. Uh, so it was this weird cycle of, of teams spending lavishly and then being penalized for two years. It just wasn't a good system. So the new system now is that every team has a bonus pool of either uh, $4.75 million or $5.25 million or $5.75 million, a little bit extra money for the smaller market and smaller revenue clubs. Uh, and it's a hard, a hard cap. You can't go over it. Uh, you can trade up for a little bit uh, of extra pool money up to a, an additional uh, 75% of your bonus pool uh, original bonus pool allocation, uh, but this is uh, essentially a hard cap on, on what teams can spend and uh, it really uh, evens the playing field uh, among clubs. Are you seeing that? Because I know you put out a top 50 of, uh, of players to sign, and, and we'll get to the Rays. They're expected to sign the number one prospect, depending on whose numbers you look at. But are the players fairly well spread out, and, and now does it really come down to who recruits better in terms of finding the talent? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, the Dominican Republic and Venezuela are still the two predominant sources of talent. And there's, there's talent in Mexico and, and Colombia, Panama. Uh, you know, the bonus pools really apply to everybody uh, internationally, the exception of, of Canada and, and Puerto Rico, which which are in the draft, obviously. But uh, yeah, now it's uh, you know if you're you know if you're the Tampa Bay Rays or or the New York Yankees, you have the ability to go out every year and sign the. Uh, the number one player on your board every year. Uh, it's not like the draft where you're picking, you know, 20th. Well, <laughs> you got to wait 19 guys to, mm-hmm. to make your pick, and then you're probably going to have to wait another 30 guys. <laughs> you know, have another, wait another 30 picks to make your pick. Another 29 guys go off the board. So uh, this way teams can be, you know, teams that are uh, aggressive, that are thorough and prepared, uh, and, and are, uh, you know, are obviously good evaluators as well. Uh, I, I think they can really – really benefit from this system, uh, but it uh, certainly pushes teams to, to be aggressive uh, in this market. Wander Franco is considered by some the number one prospect uh, or number two, depending on what board you're looking at, and he is expected to sign with the Rays. What's your take on him? What makes him such a special kid? Yeah, we have him at, at number one on our board. I think a lot of teams have him there as well uh, from, from clubs I've talked to. He's uh, he's pretty special talent. I mean, his, I think people probably know his 
his uncle, uh, Eric Ibar, the Padres shortstop, former Angels shortstop, been in the big leagues for 12 seasons now. We actually have two other brothers who uh, are in the minor leagues now, also named uh, Wander Franco. Uh, the good news to keep it uh, <laughs> uh, as simple as possible for somebody like me is that uh, I think uh, this Wander Franco, the 16-year-old shortstop, is, is by far uh, the best of the group. He's uh, I mean, the first thing that stands out about him when you see him swing is just how fast his bat is. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys with really good bat speed in the Dominican Republic. But uh, Franco really separates himself as just a, a very mature player for his age, especially at the plate. Uh, we talked about the bat speed, but it's, it's also just an extremely advanced approach to hitting. Uh, he understands the strike zone. He has excellent hand-eye coordination. Uh, and the way the swing comes through the zone from – from both sides of the plate, it's, it's, it's smooth, but it's also, uh, he's not up there just taking a, a little swing. He, he takes pretty hard hacks. Uh, he's, he's not up there getting cheated. Uh, and for somebody who's not, you know, 6'2", 6'3", uh, you know, he's maybe 5'10", he's, he's strong. He's got very surprising power uh, at the MLB International Showcase in February where I was there. Uh, some of the top international prospects uh, in the class were there, and, and he was hitting balls about as far as anybody in BP, but... Uh, he really separates himself, uh, not just with what he does in BP, but with his game skills. It's, it's a lot of contacting games, uh, very mature strike zone discipline, contact to all fields. Uh, and then in the field, I think there's some question about whether he stays at shortstop, but uh, I think he has some, some attributes to, to hope that he stays there. If not, uh, he can go to second base. I mean, it's, it's a lot of advanced uh, skillfulness with him right now, with his, uh, his glove, the way his feet work. Uh, he's got a, a good internal clock at the position to uh, to read hops. So there's there's a lot of uh, very polished, very advanced things about Wander Franco that uh, could have him move potentially uh, very quickly uh, through through a farm system once he signs. Ben, and we're talking with Ben Badler again of Baseball America. As advanced as he is, how hard is it to project kids? Because in the international period, you can sign at 16 years of age. High school draft kids are mostly 18 years of age, and the college top picks are usually 21 years of age. So, I mean, you're, you're almost two years behind. How hard is it to project going forward how they'll how they'll respond? Yeah, I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years now, and then obviously we do a ton of coverage of the draft, and then I've been covering the minor leagues for 10 years as well. And I, I think this is by far uh, the hardest job for a, a scout or uh, just about anybody in baseball to do is, is project the futures of, uh, you know, you were talking about 15- and 16-year-old kids. In, uh, especially coming out of the Dominican Republic and Venezuela, where uh, you, you do have players playing in more organized games now, but it's, it's not like even going into high school or, or college where uh, you have stats on these guys. There's mm-hmm. a lot more organization. There's a lot more information on these players. I mean, it, it, really, uh, it, it really is grassroots scouting. I mean, there, there's some more technology that is coming into the field there, but it really is that grassroots scouting. You really have to be good at it, uh, and there's a very – there's a very high failure rate, obviously, for, for signing these players. But uh, I would say certainly the good thing with Franco is, I mean, you look at the track record of some of the top players. I mean, the number one ranked players we've had uh, in recent years. I mean, Kevin Maiton was uh, the number one guy last year, but it's uh, very early to say anything on him. But before that, it was Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's off to a, an incredible start to his mm-hmm. career with the Blue Jays. Adrian Rondon, who's kind of been up and down so far with the Rays, but uh, certainly has some promise remaining with him. Uh, Eloy Jimenez with the Cubs, one of the top prospects in baseball. Uh, Franklin Barreto, who is with the signing by the, the Blue A's. Jays now with the A's. 
uh, one of the best prospects in, in baseball and, and obviously a big leaguer now. Uh, but some of these other guys like Ahmed Rosario uh, with the, the Mets, Rafael Devers with the with the Red Sox, Glaber Torres, who signed with the Cubs, and that was with the uh, with the Yankees, and I, and I think has some similarities to uh, Franco when 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 Glaber Torres was 16 years old. Uh, I think the track record of some of these recent guys who who were top prospects or top five kind of guys uh, in a signing class, those guys really separate themselves. There's a lot of consensus on those guys. So, uh, you know, the further down you get beyond the top five, ten guys, there's a lot more of a, a split camp on those type of players, but there's a lot of consensus on the, you know, the, the very top guys of the class, like Alondra Franco. So, uh, you know, to me, that gives me a lot of uh, reason for optimism regarding his uh, his future and that investment. Great stuff from Ben Badler. Coming up, the pregame show on the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Driven in the air to center field. Kiermaier going back at the wall, jumps up, and makes the catch. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. Driven in the air to right field and deep, turning his springer back to the wall. This one is gone. Home run.